Shining through CIDP to me means being able to do what you want to do and not what the disease is telling you you can't do. Don't give in to the disease. It's not easy, but I'm going to do it. And like I've told people, I may have CIDP, but CIDP don't have me. Sign up at shiningthroughcidp.com to get real CIDP stories and resources. Good evening, everyone. I'm Jonathan Capehart, in for Joy Reid. We begin the readout tonight with the shocking new examples of how this country narrowly escaped a coup at the hands of its former president. Last week, we learned that Trump pressured his acting attorney general, Jeffrey Rosen, and Rosen's deputy to simply declare, with no evidence, that the entire 2020 election was, quote, corrupt. Thankfully, they refused, even though Trump had threatened their jobs. Now, Politico is reporting that Rosen's deputy and another DOJ official were prepared to resign effective immediately if Trump had in fact fired Rosen, as was feared. Most stunning, however, is that the resignation letter that they prepared accuses Trump of trying to, quote, utilize the Department of Justice's law enforcement powers for improper ends. But wait, there's more. Another damning story reveals that acting Attorney General Rosen also faced pressure from inside the Department of Justice. ABC News reports that in late December, Trump loyalist Jeffrey Clark, who then served as the acting head of the DOJ's civil division, pushed Rosen to intervene in the certification of Georgia's electoral votes. Clark drafted a letter for Rosen and his deputy that urged Georgia officials to, quote, investigate and perhaps overturn President Joe Biden's victory in the state. But Rosen's deputy, Richard Donahue, rebuffed Clark, saying, quote, there is no chance that I would sign this letter or anything remotely like this, adding, quote, I cannot imagine a scenario in which already certified election results should somehow be overridden by legislative action. Both stories show that American democracy itself was hanging by a thread in the closing days of the last administration and that it was only a few government officials who held it together. The threat that this country faced and continues to face from Trump's big lie was underscored today in a criminal hearing for one of the January 6th defendants. The judge in the case <clears throat> excuse me, of Carl Dresch said today, quote, the defendant came to the Capitol because he placed his trust in someone who repaid that trust by lying to him. She told Dresch that your vote doesn't count any more than anyone else's. You don't get to cancel them out. Patriotism means loyalty to country, not to a single head of state. Joining me now, Michael Steele, former chairman of the RNC, and Daniel Alonzo, former federal prosecutor for the Eastern District of New York and former chief assistant in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Gentlemen, thank you both very much for coming to the readout. I just need to get each of you to react to the new stories that we have out there. Chairman Steele, I will start with you. The idea that you would have a DOJ official... <laughs> draft a letter for the attorney general and the deputy attorney general to Georgia officials saying, hey, you know, we're going to look into this to maybe, you know, override the, the voice of the people of Georgia. Why not? Uh, this this was part of the, the, the grand orchestration by Donald Trump trying to manipulate the various parts 
inside and outside of his administration to move the needle away from the decision that had been clearly made by the American people. Uh, so it's not surprising. And, and I believe that there will be more revelations as more documents are, are, are exposed and we get an even further deeper sense of just how corrupt uh, the intent and the actions were uh, around this election. Here's the part that is a two-parter for me that's stunning. One is that they thought they could get away with it. They actually believed that Rosen and others inside the administration, uh, inside Justice Department, would actually do these things, that people mm-hmm. would actually commit themselves to the furtherance of this crime. The second part I, I, I think is also important to notice just how much are the American people fully understanding and appreciating what this meant then and what it means now as we see what happens, what's happening around the country in the various states, Jonathan, that are looking to lay the pipe, to lay mm-hmm. the ground for what will come in 22 and in 24. This is not just about the presidential election in 24. This is about complete control of government at the legislative as well as the executive level. And and Daniel, I'd love to get your reaction too, but also as a former federal prosecutor, how offensive is it to you that there's someone inside the Department of Justice who was willing to put pen to paper and try to get the the acting attorney general to sign off on something um, as offensive to, to my mind, as offensive to American democracy. Well, Jonathan, I, I'm not prone to hyperbole, but this is truly some insane stuff. Uh, how offensive? This is an 11 on the scale of one to 10, right? And, but what it really does here is I actually like how it underscores the difference between, uh, you know, officials, I'll put in quotes, like Mr. Clark. On the one hand, people that are of the sort of Trump view of how you can use the Justice Department to further your own political goals, which is outrageously wrong, shouldn't be done, and, as you said, offensive. And then on the other side, you've got people like Richard Donahue, who is my former colleague from the Eastern District of New York. Um, I Everything that he's been reported to have said sounds exactly right and consistent with our training. To say, there's no chance I'm signing this stuff, guys. Um, it was a ridiculous draft email to these Georgia officials. And the fact that Clark said, apparently, in the report, it said that in the cover email, he said, I see no reason not to sign this or words to that effect. Well, geez, there are a lot of reasons not to sign it, <laughs> not the least of which is you're talking about ongoing investigations that have shown basically the opposite. Nothing's changed since Barr made his statement. And Donahue is a professional. Um, and so's Rosen. And they said, forget it. We're not doing it. I mean, I think that shows them in a very good light, but it contrasts what Trump was trying to do. Donahue is a professional. Rosen's a professional. Who is this Jeffrey Clark character? Who is he? (laughs) Well, he he was he was unknown to me before all this. So I can't I can't tell you about it. He was in charge of the Environmental and Natural Resources Division, a political appointee. Doesn't mean that's not a good or a bad thing. It just is. Uh, But he was a Trump appointee and he was willing to do this. Uh, it was really purely partisan. Uh, and, and let's even give him the benefit of the doubt. Even if it wasn't partisan, it was insanely incompetent. Right. I mean, <laughs> what Justice Department assistant attorney general would do that? So, no, this stuff is this stuff is just just crazy. Right. And, you know, as you were talking about the professionalism of Donahue and Rosen, I'm sitting here. I'm thinking in 2020, 
what they went through was sort of a stress test of the system. Maybe this is getting really getting at what Michael Steele was saying at before. How concerned should we be that DOJ and the American Democratic, small D Democratic apparatus won't be able to withstand another incredible shock to the system in 22 or 24, no matter who is sitting at DOJ, given the, the craziness that we've seen? Listen, I suppose anything's possible, but there are there are norms that we've heard about over the last few years. There is a culture of the Justice Department. You know, as long as people are still there who grew up in that culture, where people like Donahue, like Rosen, like others that I've been privileged to work with over the years, um, we're going to be okay. The problem starts when the next president decides not to put in anyone like that um, in charge. You know, it was already controversial when Trump put in the top three Justice Department officials who had never prosecuted a case in court mm-hmm. in their life. Uh, but at least, you know, they had worked in the Justice Department before they understood the culture. You know, once you start putting in people who are purely loyalists, that starts to be a problem. So if I were in the department today, you know, perhaps I'd be urging them to try to codify some norms to, to have them last into the into the future beyond administrations. Mm-hmm. Chairman Steele, um, if you have thoughts on 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 the stress test issue. I would love, I would love to hear them. Otherwise I'm going to well, ask you about some other tomfoolery. Go ahead. Yeah. You can ask me about the tomfoolery, but I do want to make okay. a, a point that, that, that really dovetails what Daniel was just saying about the stress test. The stress test will only work to the extent that the affirming and confirming authorities, the Senate actually, uh, uh, you know, steps in at the appropriate time and go, wait a minute, time out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this person isn't qualified for the job. This is this is just pure hackery in terms of the political appointment that you are putting forward. That used to be a part of the checks and balance in the system uh, where the Senate did its due diligence and uh, carried out its oversight uh, of this process. When that falls, when they are just abject loyalists or sitting in fear of the executive authority, that's where you're going to have a greater problem going forward. So to Daniel's point, these stress tests are there for a reason. They need to be augmented and emphasized, and you need to have the bodies that are charged to do what they're constitutionally required to do to make Mm -hmm. sure nothing like this happens again. So, you know, when I woke up this morning, you know, the first thing I do is put on some coffee and get my yogurt. And then I put on the Twitter machine just to catch up on what's going on. And there was something off to the right under trends that just blew my mind. And it was a fact check. Fact checkers are working overtime to rebut the new claims from right wing conspiracy theorists that D.C. police officer Michael Fanone was the one who was carrying the Confederate flag. I mean, (laughs) Michael Steele, the big lie, this crazy conspiracy theory. What? Okay, what has happened to your party and why are they bananas? I mean, this is this is not bananas. I'm being too nice. This is okay. Now I almost curse. This is crazy. (laughs) Yeah, this is this is stupid. This is just stupid. And this is really this is really where you get to the point where I can just say and throw out any kind of crap I want to throw out. And someone's actually going to follow up and and do uh, a, a, a fact check on that. 
we need to we need to collectively get ourselves together too and stop being overwhelmed by the sensationalism of stupid stop being overwhelmed by the sensationalism of those who are just sensationalizing because they know they'll get a rise out of you um that should be summarily dismissed and we move on this going forward this is the play i'm going to say something crazy and a couple of things are going to happen I'm going to raise $3 million, right? If you're Marjorie Taylor, numb nut, crazy green, right? Or I'm going to get the mainstream media to go out here and just run and chase their circle, chase themselves in circles, trying to prove or disprove something. We need to stay focused on what, what the target is. The target is the ballot box. The, the target and the tools to achieve that target is redistricting, et cetera. So stay focused on the prize and the prize is securing the ballot box in 22 and beyond and let crazy do crazy. Sit back with some popcorn on occasion and watch it and smile and maybe get a good laugh, but do not engage. And with that, I'm going to leave it there. Michael Steele, Daniel R. Alonzo, thank you both very much for coming to The Readout. Up next on The Readout, Andrew Cuomo's tenuous grip on the New York governorship. He's facing growing calls to resign and now multiple criminal inquiries. Plus, the stark contrast in how America's governors are handling the pandemic. Confronted with vaccine protesters today, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, he wasn't having it. These folks back there have lost their mind. You've lost your minds. You are the ultimate knuckleheads, and because of what you are saying and standing for, people are losing their life. And as Arkansas is being overrun with COVID cases, Governor Asa Hutchinson is admitting he's gotten at least one thing wrong about COVID, which is more than you can say for Florida's Ron DeSantis. The readout continues after this. Here's a question. Have you ever been prescribed a medication? Most likely, yes. Well, what about this question? Did you understand how it worked? The way your medication works in your body shouldn't be a mystery. Learn how Vivgart, Fgartigamod Alpha FCAB works by visiting vivgart.com slash MOA. That's V-Y-V-G-A-R-T dot com slash MOA. Brought to you by Argenics. CIDP disrupts. CIDP derails. Let's be honest. CIDP sucks. But living with CIDP doesn't have to. When you sign up at ShiningThroughCIDP.com, you'll find inspiration and real patient stories. Helpful tips, reliable information, and more. CIDP can be tough. But finding hope just got a little easier. Sign up at ShiningThroughCIDP.com. Be heard. Be hopeful. Be you. The walls are closing in on New York Governor Andrew Cuomo with an overwhelming number of New York lawmakers calling on him to resign after a report issued by New York's attorney general alleged that he sexually harassed 11 women. The calls include a majority of the state assembly, the entire New York congressional delegation and the Democratic governors of four neighboring states. Even his allies see the writing on the wall. New York Democratic Party chair Jay Jacobs, who journalist Ross Barkin describes as Cuomo's closest ally in politics, is now calling for his resignation. 
Cuomo has been radio silent since yesterday's aggressive campaign to defend himself, where he denied the allegations and singled out accuser Charlotte Bennett, saying he'd been trying to help her. Here's how she reacted to that in an interview with NBC's Kate Snow. It's disturbing that even after months of investigations, um, he still can't accept the facts that he knows are true. If he were sorry, he would step down because he knows he knows he did all of those things. But he's lying. He's lying publicly. And that apology doesn't mean anything if he's still in the office and still still making statements as if the information in that report is false. Charlotte Bennett also called for impeachment if Cuomo doesn't resign immediately. The New York State Assembly appears to be on the same page, with the Assembly Speaker saying in a statement, quote, we will move expeditiously and look to conclude our impeachment investigation as quickly as possible. And they may have the votes they need to impeach. Yes, we have the votes. We have the political will to remove him and impeach him as soon as possible. It's just a matter of how we're going to do it. Adding to the political pressure to resign, Cuomo could also be in criminal trouble. Today, the Manhattan, Westchester and Nassau County DAs requested investigative materials from the New York Attorney General's report. They now join Albany County, which has an ongoing criminal investigation into Cuomo's behavior. Joining me now, Deanna Paul, reporter for The Wall Street Journal and a former New York City prosecutor, Cynthia Oxney, former federal prosecutor, and Zerlina Maxwell, host of Zerlina on Peacock. Thank you all very much for coming to the readout. Cynthia, I'm going to start with you and just put this this um, this graphic up about the likelihood of Cuomo being um, charged with a crime. Legal experts caution that the standard for criminal prosecution is greater than state attorney general Letitia James's civil investigation. And while her report was backed backed up by corroborating evidence and credible witnesses, establishing that Cuomo had committed a crime would require additional scrutiny. Talk us talk us through that a little bit. Okay, here's here's the that basic point. That is a civil case is is it's easier to prove a civil case, right? It's more likely than not than uh, a criminal case beyond a reasonable doubt. I don't, I don't honestly, Jonathan thinks that's the issue here. I think you could prove simple assault cases, uh, especially ones that are you know you could do it in, that are inside the statute of limitations. The problem is that these these places are busy. I mean, the the Albany DA's office has has 60 rapes, 180 robberies to deal with. All these assaults, mm. murder is uh, down, but still busy in Albany, in Manhattan. Oh, and for God's sake, there are a lot of cases in Manhattan, not the least of which is Trump's case, which hasn't been done. And what happens right. is when you're the young prosecutor who's handling misdemeanor cases, these are misdemeanor cases, you might have 130 cases on your desk. And if you spend days and resources looking at the governor of New York, who, quite frankly, is being dealt with by the president of the United States and every Democrat who can get their name on a piece of paper fast enough. And if you spend your time and your valuable resources on that, the child who's been burned by her parent, the the child who's been raped and there wasn't an outcry in time to prosecute it as a felony or an elder abuse case doesn't get the attention that it deserves. Mm -hmm. I really think this is a triage situation and that we have to recognize this is a civil case. It should be dealt with civilly and with the president of the United States. And let's keep these young prosecutors who are doing misdemeanors focusing on the victims who deserve the attention and that need the help.
And so, you know, Deanna, we, we showed the clip of Charlotte Bennett in her interview um, with Kate Snow. Well, it turns out now that uh, another accuser, Lindsey Boylan, put out a statement today on her plan to sue Governor Cuomo. Um, her statement, the statement from her lawyer reads, Boylan intends, to, Boylan intends to sue the governor and his close advisors for retaliating against her. As the attorney general's investigation concluded, it was a calculated effort by the governor and his team to send a message to Ms. Boylan and every other survivor to be quiet or face the consequences. Um, it, 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 is, that, is that suit going to go anywhere, especially if Cuomo resigns? So the report that was put out yesterday certainly laid out facts that could be the basis for a civil lawsuit from a number of the complainants. I do know that Charlotte Bennett at this point is very focused on the impeachment, not on any sort of lawsuit. I think what's also important to consider are the criminal allegations that you mentioned earlier. There now are a number of district attorney's offices that are looking into possible criminality that happened in their jurisdiction. You know, Zerlina, uh, there's with, with someone about to jump in. Well, Zerlina, I'm going to ask you my question. Um, you know, there's a Marist poll out that shows a majority of New Yorkers want Cuomo to resign. Fifty nine percent of adults, 52 percent of registered Democrats. Um, clearly, they saw they've been paying attention and they saw the, the press conference yesterday. Now, have a listen to Greg Kelly. Um, who I used to know when I was in New York. Just have a listen to him and what he had to say about Governor Cuomo, what's happening to him. Mob mentality has formed yet again around Andrew Cuomo this time. I'm not buying it. Now, there's a lot of reasons to not like this guy, okay? And I am not a fan anymore. But he's no sexual predator, all right? And what is said about him can be said about a lot of people, actually. And I've been around long enough, and I know stuff that happens, and I can see a freaking witch hunt when it happens. Zerlina, a freaking witch hunt? Seriously? Well, I mean, it's funny he used those words because, you know, as the feminist on the panel, I don't know if anybody else identifies that way. I, I guess I'm the, the witch present. Um, but I do think what he said is actually quite revealing. And I want to quote uh, one of my good, good friends, Michael Denzel Smith, a feminist writer. Um, and he said this at the beginning of the Me Too movement. And I think a lot of men at home should should sit with this and think about it, especially overnight. He said it's sort of like listening to these accounts of these women coming forward and you're reading these fact patterns. And as a man, you're not reading it like women do and saying that happened to me. Oh, that sounds like something that happened to me. As a man, you're reading it and you're saying, oh, that sounds like something that I did. That sounds like behavior that I have engaged in or that I have witnessed firsthand. And so I think in that clip, what that reveals, if he's saying, you know, this is the way things are and that's just, you know, I've seen it. I maybe perhaps even he was admitting uh, having been flirtatious in inappropriate settings. I think in some ways it's an admission uh, by some of these men. And none of this behavior should be happening at work, period. Full stop. Right. Period. F full stop. Deanna, um, how long do you think—actually, let me put it this way—can Governor Cuomo survive this? Meaning, can he withstand the enormous pressure he is under from the—as Cynthia put it—from the White House on down to stay in office? 
That's a question that a lot of people are asking, and it's a good one. Only time will tell. But at this point, there are mounting calls, as you said, for his resignation. There is an impeachment inquiry. There, as I said before, there are the criminal investigations. And the Suffolk DA's office is also actually reviewing possible allegations from the report that may have happened in their jurisdiction as well. There is also the federal probe into whether he handled nursing homes during COVID-19 properly. So there is a lot of things going on. It's the beginning of a long road for Cuomo. And only time will tell if it's something he is able to survive. And and Cynthia, back to the the, the legal jeopardy that he is in. Um, how much protection does he have against legal jeopardy as long as he's governor? You know, it's only a matter of time until these women band together or the lawyers band together. And he's... Uh, charged with uh, their civil cases uh, under Title VII, 1983, and the New York uh, civil rights laws. And he will end up being sued in his official and individual capacity, and he will owe a lot of money. And additionally, the state of New York will end up paying a lot of money because this was a hostile work environment. And what's most disheartening about it is the people who enabled him are a bunch of women. The chief of staff is a woman. The, The special counsel is a woman. The secretary to the governor is a woman. And what were they doing? They were covering this up. They were enabling him. They were transferring women instead of confronting him and dealing with it. They were leaking personnel files about women to go after them. Let me tell you what, ladies, ladies, we have to channel our inner Lennox, Annie Lennox. We can do it. We have to do it for ourselves. We cannot. We cannot enable men when they do this. We have to stick together. This is unacceptable and disheartening that these women helped. Zerlina, pick a, take the baton and, and run with that, because I found it very interesting in, in Governor Cuomo's rebuttal video, how he talked about, you know, oh, you know, if a strong woman does this, she's vilified. But if a man does it in terms of being a strong supervisor, uh, being, being a strong boss, your reaction to what Cynthia said and what the governor said yesterday? Well, the governor's rebuttal yesterday was offensive for a number of different reasons, usually using B-roll or a slideshow of people that you have not assaulted um, is not a good defense to the allegations um, in a report like this one. And where, where people who are alleging you have assaulted them are named, right? You're not um, necessarily even defending what is being alleged. Um, but even specifically, one of the things he said that I want to dial in on is the point about Charlotte uh, being a survivor, and because of that, she may be more sensitive to this oh, these yeah. kinds of comments. I want to just put a put put just a marker down and say that is complete and total BS. The fact of the matter is that as a su- survivor, one of the things that comes along with that lived experience is that you missed red flags. That is actually a function of being a survivor. That's a part of the identity. You missed the flags. And now, you know what you have? A super sharp gut reaction when you come across somebody who is engaging in predatory behavior. You're not more sensitive. You're more aware of the behavior, actually, mm-hmm. after surviving an assault. So I just want to make that point really clear, because that was the most offensive part of his rebuttal beyond the I didn't assault all of these other people I'm hugging. And I always want to ask him, did you ask for permission before you touch people? And if the answer is not yes, you did it wrong. Mm-hmm. Zerlina, that is a great point. 
uh, all your points and that last answer are great points to end on. Zerlina Maxwell, Cynthia Oxney, Deanna Paul, thank you very much for coming to the readout. Still ahead, as cities wrestle with the idea of mask mandates and vaccine requirements, one Republican governor is now saying he regrets signing a law banning such measures as his state faces a major COVID surge. We'll be right back. CIDP disrupts. CIDP derails. Let's be honest. CIDP sucks. But living with CIDP doesn't have to. When you sign up at ShiningThroughCIDP.com, you'll find inspiration and real patient stories. Helpful tips, reliable information, and more. CIDP can be tough. But finding hope just got a little easier. Sign up at ShiningThroughCIDP.com. Be heard. Be hopeful. Be you. We have some breaking news tonight on the COVID front. The Biden administration is developing a plan that will require foreign visitors to the U.S. be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. It's the latest push in the ramped up fight against the Delta variant. As the pandemic roars back in many parts of the U.S., including Arkansas, a state now reporting the highest increase it's seen since the beginning of the pandemic. The numbers are so bad that Governor Asa Hutchinson, who months ago signed a bill that banned local mask mandates, is having a change of heart. I signed it for those reasons that our cases were at a low point. Everything has changed now. And yes, in hindsight, I wish uh, that had not become law. The governor is also hosting town halls in an effort to convince vaccine skeptics to get the shot. And in case you've ever wondered what happens when a pro-vaccine governor meets a room full of anti-vaxxers, well, here it goes. What's in the vaccine? Give me the insert sheet. If Mr. Doctor gives me a vial and says, trust me, I'll give you a vial, you trust me. If doctors were allowed to tell the truth and treat their patients with these therapeutics, we would not have hospitals full of sick people dying, okay? lives, Governor, and it's not the vaccine. Joining me now is Arkansas State Senator Jim Hendren, who left the Republican Party earlier this year, excuse me, and now serves as an independent, and Dr. Vin Gupta, a critical care pulmonologist. Thank you both very much for coming to the readout. Dr. Gupta, I have to start with you. I need your reaction to that sound we just heard of those two vaccine skeptics, especially that last one, that young woman. Uh, Good evening, Jonathan. Great to be here. Uh, You know, what I'll say is she's probably referencing all this uh, really, really preliminary data on therapeutics like ivermectin. Let's just talk about it real quick. There is no evidence in from any high quality studies that ivermectin, which is a, a, a tablet, a type of therapy that you can that you usually use to treat your pets of a tapeworm, it's an antiparasitic drug, is actually safe and effective against treating COVID-19 in the human body. Those studies are ongoing. We're, we're having due diligence here. And of course, if there was actual data here that the NIH looked at and said, my gosh, this is a miracle drug for COVID, we'd all be using it. That data just does not yet exist. And so this is a, one of those strawman arguments here to not get vaccinated because somehow we're depriving people of a better option. It's false, it's wrong, and it's a distraction. 
You know, State Senator Hendren, I'm just wondering, listening to Governor Hutchinson saying um, basically mea culpa and also saying um, things change and I've changed my mind. Have you talked to the governor uh, since he's made those made those comments? I'm wondering your reaction to the governor's uh, change of heart. No, I have talked to the governor. And you have to understand, Arkansas is a state where it's a simple majority to override the governor. And so when you choose to veto something, sometimes it's a hollow threat. So it's hard to decide where to draw those lines. And I, and again, the governor wishes that he had uh, vetoed that. But you have to realize Arkansas is a warning for other states. We were at 100 cases per day. Today, we had 2,800. Our mm. hospitals were in good shape. Now they're overflowing. We passed this thinking the worst was behind us. We did not anticipate, the legislature did not anticipate what Delta would do. And it was absolutely the worst decision. Uh, I voted against the bill and I tried to sound the warning sign then that, look, in an emergency, you cannot handcuff people who are trying to deal with the situation. We're getting ready to start school. And we've taken away one of the most valuable tools that superintendents and school districts had to combat uh, coronavirus, particularly this Delta variant. And it very likely will mean we've the first school di- district that's open. We already have 700 kids in quarantine. So mm. the potential for us to lose our school year is huge because of the handcuffs that the legislature has put on local schools. You know, uh, Senator, I want to put up uh, on the screen this report from Axios today about what's happening in Arkansas. More Arkansas kids are getting COVID-19 and they're getting sicker. State Health Secretary Jose Romero said that 19 percent of active cases in the state are people under 18 and more than half of those are under 12. Dr. Dr. Gupta, how worried should parents be around the country about their children's exposure to COVID, especially given the rampant nature of the Delta variant? Well, Jonathan, I, first of all, I, I love what the senator just said, and I appreciate his honesty and his, um, his owning what has happened in the past as is the governor of Arkansas. What I would say to all parents out there as a parent is that it's okay to be worried because there's been a lot of confusing messaging. And, and it's clear that at least in certain spots, children do appear to be getting sicker, Louisiana, Florida. However, let me be clear, we're not seeing some sort of nationwide spike, Jonathan, in, in children going to the hospital in droves here. It does not mm-hmm. appear that we're there yet. It's happening in spots. What I would recommend to the parents of all school-age children in Arkansas is to ignore what has been passed in law to mask up your kiddos until they can get vaccinated. And frankly, Jonathan, what we're seeing is a lot of non-COVID pneumonia, something called respiratory syncytial virus, RSV for short. We're seeing a peak here in July, August, whereas typically this is a December to February type of virus peak. And Mm. so uh, for a variety of reasons, mask up your kiddos, let's get them back in school, but protect them until they get the vaccine. Uh, Senator Hendren, what would you say to, or what are you saying to your fellow Arkansans um, like the ones we just saw in the clip we, I showed at the beginning of this segment, who are either hesitant about getting the vaccine or are saying basically, hell no, I don't want the vaccine. We're trying to combat a lot of misinformation like every place is. And certainly it's prevalent. The, the clip you showed was from my home district. And that's the kind of people I talked with some of my employees and tried to help them understand that Delta is different. And while you're right, we're not seeing a huge spike in children. Our concern is the average age in in northwest Arkansas, where I'm at now for hospitalizations, is 39. Whereas before, when we had COVID, the original variant, we were seeing mainly sick 
older people, this thing is really working its way and having a lot more impact on the working population. And we're concerned as school starts, while the kids may not have these adverse effects, they certainly can take it home to unvaccinated parents and grandparents. Mm -hmm. So it's so important that we get people vaccinated, that we help them understand their concerns are real. They need to be addressed in a sympathetic and, and, and humble way. Uh, but we are, our hospitals are at a crisis point. In, in, in Northwest Arkansas, we're shipping patients to Denver, Colorado, because we can't find anywhere to put emergency patients. That's, it, it's just not wow. somewhere that people need to go. Wow. Dr. Gupta, in the time that we have left, I want to get your your um, thoughts on this um, story in The New York Times on Tuesday about Pfizer and FDA uh, authorization. The FDA aims to give final approval to Pfizer vaccine by early next month. Dr. Gupta, how do you think if the FDA says officially the Pfizer vaccine is um, it's given been given our, our gold seal of approval, that that will is the thing that some people are looking for as a as a reason to then go get vaccinated? How helpful would that be? Extremely helpful, Jonathan. Uh, so it will help us address hesitancy and to help educate at the point of inoculation. So absolutely vital. But it's also going to give flexibility to organizations to mandate the vaccine. So you're going to see colleges, universities, school districts move towards that paradigm. Restaurants mm. and bars probably follow across the country with what New York City has led on. Department of Transportation, Secretary Buttigieg, potentially then having the option to say, if you want to board an airplane cabin, you got to show proof of vaccination. A lot of dominoes start to fall. And if, if I may quickly, um, in just 10 seconds, sure. separately, we need the CDC to clearly communicate to a tired populace across the country what does success look like. It is not eradication, Jonathan. We think for every 10, for what every detected case of COVID, there's 10 undetected cases. We're not going to eradicate this disease. It's what does COVID endemicity look like? It's low hospitalizations, low stress. Maybe cases are still continuing, but low hospitalization stress. That's vital, and that's what people need clarity on. All right, Dr. Vin Gupta and Arkansas State Senator Jim Hendren, thank you both very much for coming up to the readout. Up next, a total failure of leadership in Florida. You'd think Republican Governor Ron DeSantis was trying to get as many of his state's residents and visitors as sick as possible, and he's actually proud of it. Stay with us. As the pandemic of the unvaccinated spirals out of control in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis continues to prioritize doing nothing. After President Biden slammed him for banning mask requirements in schools, saying get out of the way of people doing the right thing, DeSantis went into full deflection mode today in a four and a half minute tirade against the president. Here's a small portion of it. Joe Biden has taken to himself to try to single out Florida um, over COVID. Why don't you do your job? Why don't you get this border secure? And until you do that, I don't want to hear a blip about COVID from you. Thank you. I want to hear a blip. In addition to railing about the southern border as COVID explodes in his state, which is nowhere near the border, DeSantis is also melting down over ice cream. He's adding Ben and Jerry's to a list of scrutinized companies in his war on, quote, woke corporations over its decision to end the sale of their products in the Israeli-occupied Palestinian territories. And as DeSantis vowed today to stand in the way of any new COVID restrictions, Florida broke another record for hospitalizations 
for the third straight day. Joined now by Mayor Dan Gelber of Miami Beach. Mayor Gelber, welcome to the readout. I, your reaction to the governor, at least the portion of the governor's tirade that we showed. Well, well first of all, uh, the President Biden isn't singling us out. We're singling us out. If you look at the CDC metrics, we're leading the country in virtually every horrible metric and in positives, in hospitalizations and deaths. Uh, so and it's not just something that we should be worried about here because we're a destination state. So, you know, my worry is not only are we worried about our residents, we're worried about all the places we're exporting it to. And of mm-hmm. course, of course, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, it, weirdly and tragically, has become almost the guy who's championing bad behavior. Uh, he his website for his, his political website literally has anti-Fauci, anti-CDC, anti-mask usage stuff. So he's trying to do everything he can to communicate a behavior that gets people sicker, while local people like me, local mayors, are trying their hardest to get people to do what the CDC and doctors say we should be doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in fact, he's sent out a fundraising email over the president's criticism of him uh, on on his covert leadership. That's actually sent out today. You know, what the the governor also said today, and I'm just going to quote it. This is what the governor said. If you are trying to restrict people, I am standing in your way and I'm standing standing for the people of Florida. Mayor, Mayor Gelbert, what what is this logic? There are third straight day record COVID cases in your state, and he says he's standing up for the people of Florida. No, he listen. We it's pretty obvious what he's doing, and it, I'm not accusing him of it. I think he says it. He is uh, building a campaign either for reelection or for a president to a, 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 a small sliver of people who don't uh, want to follow. Uh, guidelines from the CDC who don't believe in any of this stuff. And the result is that we're getting sicker in the state. He has made a very callous calculation that he would rather appeal to this small sliver of folks who want to hear this than actually do something that helps his own residents. And we have over 100 people dying a day in Florida. And he's uh, literally selling these uh, beer cooties that say, uh, you know, I can't drink my beer when I'm uh, when I have a mask on as a joke. It's not there's nothing funny going on in Florida right now. Uh, And he's doing everything he can to make it harder. And so we're left with trying to help our residents, not with his efforts, uh, but in spite of his efforts. Right. And Mayor Gabbard, I was about to ask you. So then how are you as mayor doing um, addressing the covid emergency as it's playing out in your city? Well, we're telling our residents to wear masks inside. We we're not allowed to uh, require them to do it, even though the CDC thinks you should, because he issued an executive order uh, stopping us from doing that. Uh, we are uh, we opening up uh, yesterday a COVID testing center and vaccination center. Uh, so we, we're urging our people to get tested. Uh, we're doing everything. We're urging businesses to do everything they can to try to uh, get more people vaccinated. I mean, we're actually doing what almost always happens in a healthcare crisis, which is everybody gets together on the same page. The worst thing this governor has done is he has div- he has helped divide the public. And when you have, the- we don't do this during hurricanes. We all, you know, tell everybody precisely what to do together because we know if we say different things, they'll do different things. So right now, just the way mask usage was politicized and vaccinations have been uh, politicized, now 
following the CDC guidelines is politicized, and he's, I think, the number one violator mm-hmm. of this, and it's killing people. Right. Mayor Gelber, more than 12,000 people are hospitalized. 2,400 are in intensive care. That's 40 percent of Florida's ICU beds. It is a, a, a tragic situation in Florida. Mayor, Miami Beach Mayor Dan Gelber, thank you very much for coming to the readout. Up, up next, the results are in for yesterday's congressional special elections in Ohio that tested the clout of progressives and Trump's endorsement. We'll be right back. The results are in for two Ohio special elections primaries we told you about last night in the Democratic primary for the 11th congressional district seat, formerly held by HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge. Local Democratic Chair Chantel Brown defeated former state Senator Nina Turner. It's a blow to progressives with Turner endorsed by Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez falling short of the moderate Brown, who was backed by Hillary Clinton and several members of the Congressional Black Caucus, including... Jim Clyburn. Meanwhile, in the Republican primary in Ohio's 15th district, the disgraced former president's candidate, coal lobbyist Mike Carey, came out on top in an 11 candidate field. And that's tonight's readout. And for all of you readers out there, hallelujah, she's back. Your wait is over. Joy comes back tomorrow night. So be sure to tune in. Among her guests, Donald Trump's niece, Mary Trump. And I'll see you again right here at 10 a.m. this Sunday. CIDP disrupts. CIDP derails. Let's be honest. CIDP sucks. But living with CIDP? Doesn't have to. When you sign up at ShiningThroughCIDP.com, you'll find inspiration and real patient stories. Helpful tips, reliable information, and more. CIDP can be tough. But finding hope just got a little easier. Sign up at ShiningThroughCIDP.com. Be heard. Be hopeful. Be you.